HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. This is Sherry Bayer from All in the Industry. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, a food writer and a director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from our studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every deli in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And I have two wonderful guests today, Luke Devon and Emma Kramer of Osakana, a new fishmonger in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, which opened in August. Luke is a general manager, and Emma is an assistant general manager there. And by the way, the owner of Osakana is Yuji Haraguchi, who came to Japan Eats on episode 2 talking about ramen and also on episode 35 about his plan to open Osakana. Today we'll talk about the difference between Japanese and American fish cultures, how different Osakana is from other fishmongers in New York, tips to cook great sushi uh, fish dishes at home, and much, much more. Hello, Luke. Hello, Emma. Welcome, welcome to Japan Eats. So, uh, first of all, um, can you tell us about your responsibilities at Osakana? So, Luke, you are primarily in the kitchen, and Emma, you are uh, managing the storefront? Yeah, absolutely. I manage the customer experience, the online experience, and we're booking a lot of parties now, so managing that as well. Mm, wow. So, it's beyond just a fishmonger. Oh, yeah. Sounds like we'll talk about that. So, um, tell us about your background. Um, let's start with Luke, and I heard you are from... Uh, Pennsylvania and yeah. uh, grew up in fishing with your father. Yeah, uh, I'm from southwestern Pennsylvania, and so a lot of the fishing I was doing there is freshwater fishing, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of the time um, just either fishing in local uh, lakes and streams and things with my father. Uh, a lot of catch and release, really, but still having the opportunity to eat uh, a lot of the things that we're catching. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah. Okay, and uh, also you used to teach at the middle school. Uh, yeah. So what did you teach? 
Uh, I was a, a middle school teacher with Teach for America um, right out of college. So I, uh, I taught middle school. I started as a science for sixth grade and also taught social studies and English and science um, through all the way through eighth grade. Mm, so yeah. what to do with science and uh, your career now? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I think actually teaching science at a middle school level was a really good preparation for working in a kitchen because I think those concepts, if you can at least understand science through like a middle school level, the, the ideas about physical versus chemical change and just a basic idea of what is uh, happening in, in that lets you understand what's happening in a frying pan or in an oven anytime you're cooking something mm. and just the different things that are happening. Those processes are not so strange and are not beyond your ability to understand for anybody, really. Mm, okay. And uh, I heard that you spent some time in Japan teaching English. Yeah. Yeah. So when and uh, what happened? Uh, well, that was uh, after my time uh, teaching in middle school in America, and I went to Japan. I lived in Osaka for a year and a half teaching English, uh, and which is a really great experience. Uh, I learned a lot. I ate a lot of Japanese food. I think before I went to Osaka, I my idea of Japanese food was really limited because Southwestern Pennsylvania, uh, <laughs> at the uh, you know early two thousands, there wasn't a lot of. Japanese restaurants outside of sushi restaurants. Mm. Um, so I, mean, I had eaten sushi before, but that was about it mm. from my experience. So even things like Japanese curry and or, or simple classic things like home, like the miso soup at home, just mm. like a vegetable miso soup, or those simple dishes that are the staples of Japanese everyday diet. I had never. Eaten those or had any exposure to them before I lived there. Mm. So yeah. Osaka is a good place. Because it's famous for our good yeah. cheap street food as well yeah. as other good food yeah. too, like ekimai, all, all the you know um, yakitori ekimai, <laughs> just a little stand with a, like a one man you know just doing skewers of chicken or even like uh, when I first moved to Osaka, I was in a small kind of suburb, Shinkanoka, uh, and there was a person there uh, kind of between on like a walking route between the one station and a, a big major supermarket that mm. just had a uh, basically like a station wagon that they were running a takoyaki maker <laughs> in the back of. it was kind of amazing mm. um, and I'd never had takoyaki before I had no idea what they were doing you know right. what is that yeah, no, yeah bas that. basically yeah. takoyaki is like a wound ball yeah. like flower ball and uh, in center there's a uh, octopus steamed octopus yeah right. which is so good I don't th I don't think I'd even ever eaten octopus before I moved to Japan and that's <laughs> one of my favorite things wow uh, okay so sounds like uh, what's a good beginning of your chef career uh, yeah I definitely learned a lot and got exposed to a lot of things beyond my uh, what I thought were comfort zones that were still very comfortable and very enjoyable mm. uh, definitely started to fuel my exploration of broader things right so uh, from that point, um, how did you end up working with Yuji Haraguchi? Uh, so when I moved from Osaka to New York, and at one point there, I just realized I was spending so much time uh, at home cooking that I needed to do it professionally just to be able to spend more time and really learn the things I, the deeper things I wanted to learn. So I went to the French Culinary Institute then, ICC now, and mm -hmm. uh, I was there helping out with chef demos. We had guest instructors come in periodically, so I volunteered to help those instructors as a way to meet more people who were working in the industry. And Yuji-san came in to do a demo on fish butchery. Mm. So I assisted him there and met him there. And that was right when he was starting Yuji Ramen. So I went 
um, from having met him to try UG ramen, and I had that uh, uni miso mazimen for the first time. I think that really, uh, really impressed me because I'm not. Uh, I like uni, but I'm very picky about uni, mm. um, and. It was just such a, a great uni experience that it wasn't like uni overload. I think so many people are so uh, in love with uni or it's got such an iconic image right now that they almost use it like hot sauce. Mm-hmm. And it's like so much uni on this or like, you know, <laughs> let's just cover bone marrow with uni and, and it's a little bit, it's just overdone. Um, okay. But this was uh, a very nice representation of uni that was definitely uni, but didn't feel like using like uni like a hot sauce it was mm. it was considered it was balanced uh with the white miso sweetness and the notes from a little bit of citrus and the shiso on top uh you would eat it and there were just so many notes that flowed from one to another for mm. such a simple seeming thing it was very actual actually very complex as you were eating it and i was just like i want to uh learn his philosophy about cooking how does he build these flavors mm. uh and and so i Offered to start working for him. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, well, they whoever who don't know that anything about Yuji's background, he well, used to be a fishmonger, mm. right? So yeah. he knows how to maximize the flavor yeah. of even uni sea urchin. Yeah. Right. Um, well, Sally, I have to say this. Um, so, you mentioned the uh, French Canary Institute, mm-hmm. it's uh, the International Community Center. Um, the Dorothy Ken Hamilton, oh, yeah. uh, the founder of uh, French Canary Institute, passed away on Friday yeah. in a car accident. And uh, we miss her so much. Mm. And yeah, she was also was host of Chef's um, Story at the Heritage Venue Network. So yeah, an amazing goes, program. And yeah, yeah, to her family. So, anyway, so um, okay, so you helped to build Yuji Ramen mm. brand by supporting him at the Yuji Ramen Smogasburg mm. and managing Kickstarter campaigns for Yuji Ramen yeah. and Osaka. Yeah. So, uh, what was your motivation to support him? Uh, I mean, I, I think we just had quality product, and that was motivation enough that I was making food I I believed in. I I liked eating the things that I was making, and whenever people asked about it, I the enthusiasm about explaining what we were doing was just natural because it was so good. Mm. <laughs> um, and the Kickstarter program just came about because we we had a really great public reception mm. and we were we knew from the markets that we had people that were very interested interested in us as uh, a brand and in forwarding what we're doing and increasing the scope of the things we could do right. so uh, we I had already done um, some looking into Kickstarters and had done Kickstarter for a, uh, a previous project uh, a supper club mm-hmm. and I think especially for restaurants uh, and food businesses, Kickstarter can be really valuable because you know mm. you have that audience uh, going in, and, mm. and you you get the response from the people who are going to come in. Especially any of these kind of food ventures can be very scary if you're trying to put mm. an idea out there that you don't know if right. people want it or need it. You think there's a need, uh, so it's amazing to be able to say, "I think there's a need," and for how the public say, "Yes, mm. there's a need. We want that." and be able to open these things together, not forcing something on, on a market, but really building from what the 
what the people want. Right. So test the water and also it's kind of like uh, cultivating in fence already. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. We're very successful. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Right. So now uh, Emma. So what's your background before you join Osakana? And you're from New York. And how do you had spent last 15 years in the restaurant industry? I have. I've been working in restaurants my whole life. Uh, I've done everything in between dishwashing to being a general manager, which is prep cook. I've delivered pizzas. I've been a waitress <laughs> for a long time. Uh, I've been a line cook, brand management, menu development. I love the business of food. It's a, it's a really special industry. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so the, also I heard you had worked in the sustainable food industry, which I think also is a case of Osakana. And we'll talk about how sustainable Osakana is later. But uh, where did you work and uh, what was the motivation to work in uh, sustainability business? I worked for a sustainable seafood company based in Brooklyn called Sea to Table, mm-hmm. which is a really great company that drives a lot of revenue directly to docks. And it was a great place to get a seafood education, especially learning about just the, the seafood model in America, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, I like sustainable food, though, because at the core of it, it really means sustainable jobs. Mm-hmm. And I think that the future of sustainable food, beyond thinking about where your food came from, which is so important, is also thinking about who serves it to you, who cooks it, and who cultivates mm-hmm. it. It's a whole um, chain. Yeah, absolutely. And those mm-hmm. are all great jobs that I think have a lot of value. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, so the seat to table, so basically it's... Um, It's kind of like you manage the logistics of everything. From, yeah,、uh, I worked on the logistics side. We、mm. used、uh, FedEx as a third party、mm. to get fish directly from the dock to restaurants, consumers, and even schools.、Mm. So, was it kind of like I'm very curious about that because I think, like you said, it's going to be the future. So, does the business model work, you think? I think it's a really challenging business model.、Um, FedEx is not a refrigerated truck. And <laughs>、right. when you talk about moving seafood, It's really hard to have a serious conversation without a refrigerated truck, I think,、mm. at the end of the day. Right, so we'll see what happens.、Right. And、uh, why did you join Osakana? I joined Osakana because I was looking for a company that really wanted to change something about the food industry,、mm. um, not just about the sourcing, but even just the level of employment. And the people that it works with and how it treats people, I think, is really unique.、Mm, right. Okay, so、uh, now let's talk about Osakana. So, what is the concept of Osakana? Osakana is a new style of fish store that I think is really focused on variety and respect.、Mm. I think those are our, our two main、okay. objectives. Right. And、uh, so, variety in terms of what kind of fish? Yeah, absolutely. I, Especially in America, we're driven to eat certain fish because they're popular, they're in market. And the reality is that the best way to eat from the ocean is to eat a huge variety from the ocean.、Mm, okay.、Um, but do you normally get all local fish, right? As far as I, I understand. Yeah. So. Yeah, but there's a huge variety, I think, of local fish that aren't popular. People just don't think about them because they're not featured as much on menus. And when we think about. Oh, nice fish, and you're going to a restaurant, and people automatically go to salmon.、Uh, Chilean, you know, always. <laughs> yeah, even going to things like Chilean sea bass that is not local and not particularly、mm. am- amazing or signature as, as a fish itself.、Uh, and I feel that there's so many amazing local species that we should be eating and eating. A nice variety of between like porgy, bluefish, and、mm. especially like dogfish, that is a huge 
and right now considered bycatch because if you're line catching fish, you catch so much dogfish, but it deserves a bigger part at our table just because we're catching so much of it, but because it is delicious and a, a very useful part of our seafood diet. Mm. But I heard dogfish is very hard to process, right? Is it? Or some other fish? You know, dogfish is also called the boneless fish. Okay. So I think arguably it's sometimes easier to process than certain things like fluke that take a lot more attention. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe I'm talking about some, some other fish well, because usually... It was, yeah. it was definitely a, a learning experience, uh, the first one that I, I broke down um, mm-hmm. versus something like the bluefish or, or flatfish and that have more bones and you know where right. uh, your knife should go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... I, I, once you learn the basic structure uh, of the fish, I don't think it's any more difficult to process. Uh, it might be more difficult definitely to make a machine that processes it mm. because there isn't that uh, rigid guideline uh, for filleting the same way that running you can run like perch through a machine mm. and get something that passes for a fillet. Right. But, uh, but I think it's a very good... Uh, you get a nice yield off of a dogfish, and I don't find it particularly difficult once you know mm. what you're doing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But the point is, I think I get an impression you don't mind going through this painstakingly hard processing, and I was always impressed because yeah. I, I have to confess, I've been to Osakana like more than, I don't know, 15 times <laughs> since you guys opened in my neighborhood, but it's always amazing that mm. how, how fresh it is every day. Right. So, so how do you summarize the difference between Osakana and other fishmongers? The local and more variety. And, and definitely more attention. And the respect part of it is definitely the attention to detail when we're receiving and cleaning the fish. Mm. You can't offer fish for sashimi if you aren't cleaning it thoroughly and cleaning the space that it's prepared in. Mm. It's not just about, oh, this fish was healthy or, or less healthy or, or that there's some... Uh, qualitative assessment of one fish as sashimi grade versus another fish. Mm. The fish that come from a healthy ocean are healthy. We can eat those fish mm. as sashimi, but if you don't take care of the fish, if you don't clean it thoroughly before you're butchering it, and if you don't butcher it in a way that controls for um, controls for any kind of contamination, mm. then that fish, you can't eat sashimi. And right. some of those other butchering styles are fine for cooking fish. It's more, uh, can be more efficient. You do say when you come and see us and there's a painstaking process that we go through that if you were just cooking all the fish, um, the, the value added is, is more for eating fish as sashimi. But even for the dogfish that we're not eating as sashimi, that painstaking process provides very beautiful results mm-hmm. and also like very high quality results. Right. Okay. And uh, do you get uh, fish from Fulton Market or? Yeah. Yep. yep. We work directly with Fulton Market. Okay. Um, definitely driving value there. Mm-hmm. It's a great resource for seafood, especially in New York City. It is the, the resource mm-hmm. for seafood. And do you uh, focus on East Coast fish or West Coast as well? We do East Coast primarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now we are running something like salmon just because it is height of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great time to eat salmon. It's a huge, right. huge abundance of it. Mm-hmm. So, oh, I forgot to, uh, you know, like one of the favorite things I always have at uh, Osagana is uh, the kama. That's a neck mm-hmm. part, which you don't see in other fishmongers often. And it's very, um, I don't know, with the, the bone that's mm-hmm. a mummy in it. And it's amazing. It's definitely not as common to eat that in like American food culture, um, but it was something that we started serving at Okonomi 
that became so popular that I think a lot of the people that are coming to Osakana from being Okonomi fans were also interested in the the collar, the kama. Mm. Like, oh, do you have the bluefish kama? Right. I want, I want that too. And it's like, of course we we do, and we butcher in a way now to make those collars very appealing and, and presentable and, and delicious and easy for you to take home. Right. They're a great way to cook fish. Right. Yeah. And I recently went to a Japanese supermarket in, uh, I think in, in Tokyo or some Takayama somewhere, mm. and then they are proudly selling collars mm. because it's such a delicious piece. Yeah. And it's, it always comes with the main part. So, yeah, it was a huge shining piece of fish in the Japanese supermarket, too. Yeah. Right. Um, so the uh, what kind of... Um, Fish do you sell to Osaka? You can just name a couple so that uh, listeners can get in some ideas. Um, today we've got bluefish, for sure. Some really nice-looking bluefish. Tuna mm-hmm. belly. Got a lot of mackerel. Mackerel's in season right now. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Porgy, oh. cobia. Really beautiful stuff right. coming out of the water. We've got some really warm water where we live right now, so we're getting a lot of the fish that come from the south. Right. And maybe you can talk about how it's presented. I think that's another unique thing about Osakana mm-hmm. is... It's almost like going to a jewelry store. So maybe you could describe how it's presented. We always compare it to the jewelry store, absolutely. I think that's adding the respect and the value to the fish, is we display a small amount of fish. We only have a small amount of fish every day. You know, what we have is what you see. Uh, And I think it raises the value of those individual pieces and things like the collar. You know, we only have so many collars. We only bring in so many whole fish. It Mm. it raises the value of the item. Right. So basically, once you open a very chic door, wooden door, there is like an Italian, you know, the pastry Mm. case. Mm -hmm. It's almost looking like you are picking a jewelry ring or Mm -hmm. necklace kind of thing. And there's really beautiful Japanese place. And yeah, it's just very fun to visit and see fish. So I mean, it's a... It's a logistical thing, too, that we wanted to make that very uh, obvious step away from just fish on ice, which mm. is a really terrible way to hold fish. Right. You know, um, we've, we've made so much advancements in technology in terms of food storage, refrigeration, and we have much higher standards of, of cleanliness and contamination mm. uh, than we ever had before. But, but still people are just throwing out ice and putting fish on it where... The fish have not been cleaned, so there's mm. still residue from their life in the water. On the outside of the fish, the ice is melting. Those residues are passing from one fish into another right. fish and even inside the fish because once it's melted water, it can permeate every part of the fish, and mm. it's uh, more than a little unappealing when you when you think about it and you see those piles of like fish on ice. And so everything we do uh, with that case is definitely to say, no, you know, we're holding this temperature and moisture controlled so it's in its peak mm. state for uh, the, the best time window possible and we're making sure that everything is very particularly presented not just to look beautiful but to be high quality product right. to avoid those contaminants and, and to step above to kind of move into the future of what fish storage and fish display should be mm. so minimum bacteria contamination right and uh, who's your customer we have a we have a wide customer base we have a lot of Japanese customers that come all the way from New Jersey and Manhattan (laughs) and we have a great local base of customers like Luke was saying everybody that's a guest at Okonomi is already almost one of our customers Mm. because they they understand it they already subscribe 
Because Okonomi is only, uh, I don't know, five minutes away. Yeah, a short walk. Right. So after breakfast, let's get some fish. Right. Right. Um, Okay, so, and I'm sure both of you know the Japanese fish culture, learning from Yuji. And uh, how do you compare the difference between, you know, the mindset between Japanese and American consumers about fish? I mean, it's it's an interesting comparison. They definitely, in Japan, fish is such a huge percentage of the diet um, that just is not anywhere in America, uh, not anywhere close and also that they frequently do eat a variety of fish, there's much more culture of having a taste of, of many different things and eating eating a variety from the ocean instead of just saying like oh I just want my salmon entree mm. you know, but saying I'm going to eat some salmon and some of a, some kampachi, a couple of different things when you have a sashimi plate, you know, you're having several different types of sashimi sometimes that's displayed in a very beautiful way, you get more satisfaction, a sense of fulfillment because of the variety that isn't just based on consuming the volume and also mm-hmm. because the quality is so high, you, you get the value there that you feel satisfied mm-hmm. when you're eating that way instead of just trying to eat uh, a volume of protein and needing a certain benchmark. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Right. So, um, you know, the that's a one part, big part. And then I just uh, thought about, you know, what about the fishermen and distributors, right? Mm. And in episode 35, Yuji discussed uh, the challenges he often faces in the U.S. distribution system. Mm. And, for instance, uh, American distributors use 50-pound fish container filled with lots of ice. And as a result, fish in the bottom is almost always damaged. Mm. And on the other hand, in Japan, each fish is packed in a separate container that fits the size of the fish. So uh, do you have any problems in getting super high-quality fish? In, you know, even from Fulton? I think that there is a demand for high-quality fish already, so we're kind of joining that. But I think driving people to handle individual fish mm. is still... Uh, we're still working on it, but mm. we're yeah. getting there, absolutely. You right. know, not, not using the hook to move fish, but rather just using your hand. Right. Yeah. Mm. Things like the Ikejime process, that right now there isn't a lot of pressure from the market to say, like, oh, you know, to tell a fisherman they have to learn this style of... of uh, working with fish that mm. has to happen on the boat during right. the catch mm. uh, and to have them actually make that change in their in their professional processes they have to know that there's a market value to it mm. you know? and so we're helping to educate them like oh you know if you can on take these processes then we can add value to the fish that you're that mm. you're already selling right. um, doing things like that and, and how you handle it how you pack it is all Increasing value for you, increasing value for us, and increasing value for the customer. Mm, yeah. Right, and you can charge more for ikijime. So maybe you well, can explain, uh, listeners, uh, what, what ikijime is. Right. Ikijime is a, a style of um, when you kill uh, fish, when you catch fish, you're sending a metal rod basically through the spinal column, destroying it, and that uh, interferes with the process of the fish going into rigor, mm-hmm. so that it doesn't go into rigor as quickly or as stiffly and you know when a fish is going into rigor basically it's having a seizure you know every muscle in the body is firing and squeezing and sometimes those forces are happening uh, against each other it can cause uh, tears in the meat or mm. uh, deterioration even on like a smaller level that you might not notice um, but that fish then loses moisture more readily mm. uh, after you're filleting too so it's on, on many fronts the ikajime fish goes into that process more slowly, more gently, mm. comes out of it more gently, 
It just keeps the meat in a better overall condition. Right. So, like any other, any other animal, the slaughterhouse, if the animal suffers, then the meat taste mm-hmm. goes down. It's the same thing, yeah. right? It's the production of lactic acid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, ikejime. Uh, the American fishermen should do ikejime, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. And uh, so, you mentioned uh, the sashimi. You know, and I, you know, sashimi, of course, is really raw fish, and I didn't expect it's possible to have fresh sashimi in this country. Mm. So, um, what's the, how do you do that? I mean, it's really fresh, high quality sashimi I've tasted so many times. So, mm. what's your kind of uh, choice of fish or? It's definitely the, the fish we're getting in. We're very fortunate to be working with Nishimaru, who has a lot of experience buying fish for sashimi. In Japan, from Tsukiji, and now they're sourcing uh, American fish just because they saw American fish of very high sashimi quality. Mm-hmm. And we're wondering, well, why aren't we sourcing this fish for sashimi if the quality is so great and it's right here?、Uh, and they have a lot of experience with the market. They go through Fulton Market, they know what they're looking for for、uh, the best quality fish, and they pass that on to us.、Mm-hmm. But then when we get those fish, it's a lot about the care of cleaning the fish. Making sure that it is held、uh, in a way that controls for contaminants, controls for moisture,、mm-hmm. always keeping temperature controlled so that the fish is in a pristine environment as much as possible when we're storing it. And when we are cutting that fish into sashimi portions, that every part of that process is as clean as possible so that,、uh, you know, if you're cutting into a fish when the organs are still in the fish, there's a really high chance of. Contaminating the meat. And、mm. if you don't take the time to clean and to scale and to make sure that、uh, the outside of that fish is clean, then you can have scales on your knife while you're cutting,、mm. can carry those contaminants along the whole fillet.、Right. Uh, and then you can't use that fish for sashimi.、Mm. You know, the, sashimi isn't,、uh, it is about the fish and it's also about the kitchen and the people in the kitchen. Are, is the kitchen sashimi clean?、Mm. Are the people working with the fish operating on standards that? Hold, hold themselves in their workplace to a level of sashimi、mm. clean. Right.、Yeah. Okay. By the way, Nishimaru, USA, it's,、uh, I, I know a couple of people there.、Mm. They're extremely, ex,、uh, extremely experienced. Yes. And、uh, I think they serve、uh, uh, distribute、uh, fish to Sushi Nakazawa, another amazing、mm. yeah. top restaurants in the city. Yeah, so, yeah. right. Well, I really appreciate you make sashimi like to、yeah. Sosakana. It's one of the things I think is most. Special about what we're doing there as like a keystone of it being a Japanese fish market. When I was living in Osaka, as I come from southwestern Pennsylvania,、mm-hmm. and I, I grew up、uh, eating、uh, biscuits and sausage gravy very <laughs> often, my grandmother would make big Sunday breakfast for my family, and we would have that、uh, biscuits and sausage gravy. And in Japan, there was nowhere you could get anything even close to. Like breakfast sausage that I could、mm-hmm. find in any of the markets. Sausage is typically a hot dog.、Right. And you just can't make、uh, like sausage sawmill gravy out of hot dogs. And it's, so、um, it took me a long time to source those things. And I basically learned how to make the sausage myself so that I could make biscuits <laughs> and gravy、um, yeah. living in Osaka. And so <laughs> I know what it feels like to have that, some part of what should be just a part of your home. And just find it so inaccessible in a market. And so to be able to provide Japanese people with something that's like, I can just buy fish, take it home, and slice it. And it's such a,、uh, it's a very comforting thing. And it's a very simple, easy way to eat healthy、mm. on like an everyday basis. And it just means a lot to me to be able to provide that to、mm. people. And, and so 
I love that we can do that. And there wasn't anywhere in New York that was sourcing fish in a way that, that facilitated that. Mm-hmm. We had customers coming into Oko trying, Okonomi trying to buy whole fish from us. And Okonomi is a small restaurant. We do what we do there extremely well. We just couldn't expand it within the restaurant to sell whole fish to people. Mm. So that's where we knew the demand was there for that in particular, right. giving people access in New York City to sashimi-grade fish to take mm. home and right. sashimi at home. And I think in New York, too, with a small kitchen and limited appliances, mm-hmm. sashimi is such an excellent dinner because, mm-hmm. you know, you bring it home and it's healthy and it's ready. Right. And that's it. All yeah. you need is a plate. And the thing is, if you go to a restaurant and they eat sashimi, you have to pay a lot more money yeah. that's for sure so yeah, yeah. so um, sounds like you are going to inspire other restaurants and the uh, fishmonger I hope I, ho- I hope we yeah hope so. we, especially just making sashimi available to people even not just Japanese people but it should be a part of everybody's diet and mm-hmm. it isn't something that should be so uh, I mean there are definitely artists like Sushi Nakazawa that are doing something very rarefied and special that is very difficult mm-hmm. it is an art but in terms of being able to eat sashimi at home with confidence, it's mostly about sourcing. And then from there, it's just a part of uh, like a normal mm. daily like dinnertime routine that isn't something that should feel beyond your grasp. Mm. It should be something that, oh, I can do this. This is an easy option for me. And it's a delicious option for me. Mm. Yeah. I, I cannot say more than that. <laughs> it's really amazing. So, all right. So let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll talk about Osakana's fabulous educational classes. So please stay with us. And this is another song by our former intern, Young Malcolm. We'll be right back. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan, plus the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the implicit and elegance of Japanese culture to your table, be it in your home or in the finest restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, and my guests today are um, Luke Daman and Emma Kramer, the general manager and assistant general manager at Osakana, a new fishmonger in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, which opened in August. So now, um, the Osakana's website calls itself Japanese Fish Market and Educational Center, hmm. and you offer educated cl- educational classes at Osakana. So why is education so important? 
I think that taking the mystery out of cooking fish at home and preparing fish at home is a huge goal of ours. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, because you don't know what to do with it, like yeah. you see the fish. When I think the things we're doing are different for both Americans and Japanese people living in New York, that the fish we're providing sometimes aren't exactly what Japanese people are used to using for sashimi sometimes. Mm. Uh, some of the, like the gray tile, the golden tile fish are similar to amadai, um, but maybe not exactly the same in a way that uh, people want to have a conversation. They go, oh, what is this and how does it relate to what I'm used to in Japan? Mm. And Americans might have no real exposure to or only have exposure to sushi and sashimi mm. in, a, in a restaurant context. And so showing those people that this is something you can do at home and mm. taking the, the mystery out of it, making it feel accessible. It's important that we have that dialogue and that the whole experience is very welcoming. Mm. Right. And uh, so what kind of classes do you offer? Uh, could you give us some uh, examples? Uh, the most popular class right now is definitely sashimi at home. Okay. That's, you know, yeah. definitely delicious, very interesting class. Uh, mm. We do ramen, mazamen classes. Uh, we've got some shabu-shabu classes, nabe. Okay. Uh, we also have a ramen risotto class mm-hmm. this month. A huge variety of right. all different levels. So the, so the sashimi class, for instance, that's mm-hmm. the, usually you, you, you know, get the fish, the mm-hmm. fish, fish, and then you, you teach how to cut it. And also the maybe cure it? Or? Yeah. A lot of the sashimi at home class is about different techniques uh, we apply to fish for curing or creating some different uh, flavors and textures. Uh, things like yakishimo, which is torching mm. the fish, or uh, yubiki, which is using hot water to kind of tighten just the skin layer mm. of uh, fish with a very delicate skin layer that makes a nice textural variance in the fish and lets you eat fish without having to take that skin off mm. um, and just kind of gives you even more of a, a breadth of textures and flavors when right. you're eating um, yeah. fish like that. Yeah, so so the, one of the misunderstandings about sushi and sashimi is that they actually raw fish, not just cut, but they're really processed yes. like, carefully with vinegar and salt and, like you said, with some heat as well. Yeah, right. there's a, a huge uh, breadth of techniques that go into preparing sashimi. It isn't just like, oh, it's raw, you know, take the head off and cut it into slices. There's mm. yeah, a lot of other processes that go in that, into that. And we do a lot of those things so you can buy fish out of our case that already have those techniques applied to them. Mm. But I think people are really interested in what are those techniques and trying it. Mm. Yeah. Right. By the way, the classroom is mm. in the back of uh, the beautiful storefront. And I feel one, one day I'm still hoping there's a beautiful counter, yeah. right, the marble. And uh, hopefully you can open a little you know, pop-up restaurant. Uh, <laughs> it's something we really. are not a restaurant. We are very, uh, very happy to not be a restaurant. Yeah. We like the way that we are working as a market, but we are also really excited to be doing, uh, to be able to open that space to our customers for private events. Mm. It is a really beautiful space. You can have a really intimate, uh, lovely evening there. Mm. Um, we've started doing uh, a temaki sushi party, mm-hmm. which is nice. So we put up sushi rice and a selection of fish and uh, nori sheets, some other. Uh, vegetables and, and uh, mm. other things that you add into your hand-rolled sushi roll. Uh, teach people how you do that. And then people come in uh, in groups and they've had a lovely time just enjoying that experience, which is a really interesting Japanese experience, too. It's sort of mm. very common in Japan. Right. Um, for me, it reminds me of like if you go to a family reunion and they have the tiny rolls and a bunch of cold cuts and you're kind of making your own sandwich. But I think there's even more variety and, and uh, interesting structures at work. Right. And have a very interesting time doing it. Mm. 
I like those too because it's not something that you would see or do in a restaurant. Mm. It's really something you would do at home. And I think that once people do it in our store, they're encouraged to do it at home. Mm. Right. So now someone's ending, you know, let's do a temaki party at home. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so who takes the classes at Dosakana? Right now, we have a lot of people, mostly, I think, Okonomi customers are the most excited. We're lucky enough to have so many Kickstarter backers that they're also really interested in our classes. But mm. what's nice is that the neighborhood has given us such a great reception mm. that a lot of people from the neighborhood have joined us as well. Right. So just in case of listeners who don't know, uh, Okonomi is uh, for breakfast and lunch. It's a Japanese-style fish-based breakfast menu with vegetables and miso soup and rice, which is amazing. And at night, it's a ramen place. Yeah. Right. So. yeah, so it is, like, thankfully, a lot of people from the neighborhood coming in. Because Okonomi, we, we're fortunate that it is it's such a signature small place that stands out that people come from very far away just to eat there. Mm-hmm. And you get people coming out of a cab with a suitcase straight from the airport just <laughs> to eat in this little 12-seat restaurant for Ichiju Sansai. And it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, very humbling to have that kind of response from customers. But... Uh, people can't just come off a plane out of a cab with a suitcase and then come into Osakana <laughs> and buy fish and take it back to their hotel room. Like, it just doesn't work as well. So the the fact that we have so many people in the neighborhood that are coming in three times a week shows that there was a need for this. And mm. then what we're doing, it works that people enjoy the product. And if we didn't have the neighborhood, if we didn't have people who live there coming in, it, it wouldn't work. Mm. You know, so it's very... Yeah. The best part is seeing people, you know, often post mm. what they cook at home. Yeah. And for us, that's the greatest reward is we get to see really how they're honoring their fish at right. home. Right. And uh, well, the, the neighborhood is Williamsburg. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a younger, more kind of creative people. But also, I see many Japanese people, or no, older population, American population, at the economy too. Yeah. So maybe that's a summary of how American consumers are looking for right now mm. in a you know, healthier diet. Absolutely. Right. Okay. And uh, so I'm sure some of the listeners will sign up for your classes, but uh, for the rest of us who are too busy or not in New York, maybe you can give us some tips how to cook fish at home? Uh, sure. Uh, I mean, people always ask us just how to cook fish. I think something that we do from Okonomi uh that we're using a lot and recommending a lot to people is just when you're making like yakizakana, like the roasted fish, mm. just a, a very high heat oven, uh, 450, 500, mm-hmm. uh, as high as it'll go. And if you can uh, turn on convection in your oven, that's even better. Mm. Uh, at Okonomi, we kind of suspend the fish on skewers, but at home, it's fine. Just a cooking sheet, like mm. a, you might make cookies on uh, with a sheet of parchment paper, and you put the fish on that, uh, season it with salt, put the fish down skin side up it's in the oven uh for like a four ounce five ounce piece of fish it's in the oven eight or nine minutes Mm. at most you have really lovely color on the outside really nice effects out of skin from things like bluefish uh or towelfish where the skin actually puffs as you roast it and the inside is still very moist it's that temperature differential so that it's so hot outside it's cooking the very outside a lot where the inside doesn't have time to get overcooked Mm. so you get a really beautiful piece of fish that way and if you think oh i don't want to turn my oven up that high or in the summertime although now it's the winter we love running the oven but it only has to be in the oven eight or ten minutes eight Mm. to nine minutes you know so it's a very short quick easy process right okay sounds great and uh so now um everybody knows that fish is good for your health and the sushi is more popular than ever so uh what do you suggest for american consumers to eat fish sustainably 
I think for us, sustainable really means variety, and it means not getting caught up on one fish or two fish. Mm. It means really experiencing all the fish in the area where you live. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. And uh, for instance, uh, you carry bluefish often, and I think it's such a perishable fish that you don't see it often, but because your freshness... I really like uh, studied to like bluefish because it's so tasty. Absolutely. Or the we do a sake kasu marinade on the bluefish, which I think is such a great complement to that fish. It's like they were always meant to be together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Which is amazing that they go so well together. But they're, f- I think it's one of the more signature things in the case for Osakana as a place that is both American and Japanese because it's American fish that you only get in America in this. Japanese treatment that is very popular in Japan. It really hasn't penetrated American markets yet, but that、mm. sake kasu marinade on that bluefish、uh, together, they're just wonderful. Right.、Mm. So, sake kasu basically sake leads.、Yeah. So, the leads kind of breaks down the,、uh, the protein in the fish、mm-hmm. and、mm-hmm. make it more kind of tender. Yeah. And the umami is increased. And for such a high oil fish that, you know, w o u l d very perishable, also, sake kasu is a real preservative. Right. And、uh, full of omega、uh, 3 fatty acid and、mm-hmm. good everything.、Mm-hmm. Right.、Um, um, I think、okay. for, for sustainability, also, that's, we also really focus on what in other butcher shops you might call like off cuts, but so using things like the belly of yellowfin tuna or swordfish,、mm. uh, selling other parts of the fish like the collar that aren't always used in other restaurants or in other markets, and saying, you know, like, these are also part of the fish we're catching. And it's not enough to say, That we're,、uh, you know, oh, where does my tuna come from? Or is my tuna sustainable? It's, it's, you know, well, if you are eating that tuna as a whole animal, the、mm. way that we've started to eat、uh, pigs and, and cows, then, then that is more sustainable for no matter what you're catching, to eat all of it, you、mm. know, because all of it is delicious. It takes some knowledge, but that tuna belly from the yellowfin is amazing, also.、Oh, yeah. It's a really. Rich, very meaty、uh, mm-hmm. piece of fish、um, that is so versatile in so many ways from grilling to roasting to braising. It's really amazing. And the, and the swordfish is a, like,、uh, it's a very rich product. You don't need a whole lot of it at one time, but it is also a very signature, amazing、uh, fish experience. It's、mm-hmm. so rich. It's almost like bacon、um, made from swordfish that you can't, you can't get that kind of. Flavor and texture out of fish, otherwise. And、mm-hmm. this is something that's just not being utilized at all in,、right. in the market. That it's very important that we use fish in a whole way. Right. And also, I think、uh, seasonality, too,、mm. right? Because it's in season, fattier, tastier. Yeah. And you capture that moment, too. Yeah. The mackerel that you know, we were getting recently is just unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very beautiful. Wow. Okay. Um, so, the、uh, Osakana's、uh, sister restaurant, Okonomi, nearby.、Mm-hmm. So,、um, do you have any benefit of having a restaurant to, you know, like maybe you can、uh, create a synergy? I mean, not to waste ingredients, that kind of、uh, thing, because, you know, you cut、mm-hmm. like head off.、Mm-hmm. And then probably you don't sell it to Osakana, right? But then you might be able to use it, the economy for stock or something like that. Well, so we actually make a ramen stock ourselves、oh, okay. um, at Osakana. So the, the heads and the bones of everything we butcher ends up going into our own ramen broth, which is all fish, which、mm-hmm. is very, very rare for ramen.、Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard, I think, making a fish broth that is balanced. In the way that、uh, the Yuji ramen broth is amazingly balanced, but we're using 
bones, uh, pork and chicken bones from the Meat Hook, which mm-hmm. is really great that they partner with us like that. It makes an amazing product, but there we're only adding one or two types of fish maybe per batch of broth, and here we have, you know, can have a dozen different fish mm-hmm. uh, contributing to one batch of broth, right. and it makes a very balanced, beautiful flavor experience mm-hmm. and something that's all fish. Uh, I don't think I've ever tasted the old fish. Gashi, oh. yeah, I have to get that one of those for Please, sure. Yeah. No, it's, it's one of my favorite things that we do there and a really great product. Mm. Yeah, you should try. Okay. And uh, just my last question. So what is your plan for the future at Tosakana? Oh, wow. <laughs> we have big plans. Yeah. We're changing the world through fish. That's okay. our number one plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I think besides that, we're creating a community yeah. where we're based mm-hmm. in between Okonomi and Osakana, which is really... Encouraging people to cook differently at home and embrace Japanese cooking, which is a simple, really accessible way、right. to cook, I think, in New York, especially with all the amazing markets that we have around us.、Mm. And there's a rumor that、uh, that community is expanding to Japan too. Yes,、right? absolutely. So, very, very exciting to、uh, be. Have Yuji Ramen will be in the Ramen Museum in、mm-hmm. Shin Yokohama、mm-hmm. starting next year. And we also have a nice partnership with.、Uh, Oh, yeah,、um, which is a restaurant in, in Tokyo.、Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's very exciting that we're going to start having exchange between our staff. It'll、mm. really help promote a lot of our understanding because we hire a lot of people from Brooklyn. And you know, it's not necessarily a lot of Japanese people、uh, making Japanese food, but we're using Brooklyn ingredients and we're using a lot of Brooklyn staff and educating them about.、Mm. Japanese food, but it's lovely to give those people the opportunity to go to Japan to learn directly from Japanese kitchens and to receive、uh, Japanese cooks、mm. to have them learn what we're doing here、yeah. to expose them to American fish and to learn from them as well the things that they maybe take for granted about being. Mm. Uh, trained to work in a kitchen in Japan that are very unique to us.、Wow, that's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah, once it starts, you guys have to come back. Yeah. Yes.、Mm, okay. Well,、yeah. so Luke and Emma, thank you for joining us today. Thank you、Thanks、so for much. Thanks for having us. So, listeners, if you would like to know more about Osakana, please visit osakanabk.com. That is O S A K A N A. BK.com, Osakana.com.、Mm. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, please contact us at japanneeds at heritageradionetwork.org. And yes, now we have our own email address for Japan Japanese. So if you have any um, um, requests for guests or topics,、uh, you can just send an email to us too. And Japanese is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, and the Stitcher podcast. And please go to iTunes and Stitcher and write a review. We'll really appreciate your feedback. And today's show was made possible by Corwin and our engineers, David Tatasiore. And、uh, thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 